0: talk radio will actually educate inspire and make you think the future is now topics and music that affect your life from universal broadcasting network tune in at ubnradio.com
1: this is one on one with jasper cole hollywood's bad guy and so much more Actor, talent manager, producer, and more. Now he's sitting down with today's top newsmakers from entertainment, politics, pop culture, and beyond. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Woo-hoo! All right. Howdy, 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 everyone. And welcome to One on One with Jasper Cole. This is your host, Jasper Cole, coming to you live from Sunset Gower Studios right here in. Holly Weird, California. I want to give a big shout-out to my producer extraordinaire, Mr. John Williams.
2: Hey, Jasper. Good to hear from you. How are you doing? Hey,
1: buddy. How are you? Good, good, good. You're on location, eh? <laughs> well, it seems like, you know, these, these <laughs> days are flying by, and yeah. uh, I see you one Wednesday, and then all of a sudden, we're here again. Yeah,
2: I know. <laughs> well, hey, well, that's, that's a quality problem in some ways, right? So <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, but it also means we're we're yeah, time is flying when we're getting old, and yeah. then you know what that means, and then it's over. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, listen, everyone, I wanted to say welcome to the show, and please remember to follow us on Twitter at one uh, on one J Cole, and fast, uh, Facebook is one on one with Jasper Cole, and then you can go to my website jaspercole.com, and there's also a link for the show on there, and we also have our YouTube channel, and about two. So 2 3 days after this live broadcast it goes up on uh YouTube and of course we're on iTunes and Stitcher and Venus and Mars and uh, <laughs> wherever JW where, where else are we
2: <laughs> You're right we are on, we're on iTunes Stitcher and TuneIn as well TuneIn is uh and YouTube you know so
1: Oh right mm. right and uh everyone uh is can can people call in today JW Yeah sure they can call in uh 843
2: 843- 2826, so
1: it's 323-843-2826. Great, because I, I'm, I'm, I think today's topic is going to be of interest to everyone. We are so honored today. Our guest is coming up after the break. Um, I, she calls herself, I love this, activist. Oh, actress good. and activist. Yeah. Uh, Don Abernathy, and she's a veteran, veteran accomplished actress and also civil rights activist. Um, her father was the late Ralph Abernathy, who, uh, along with Martin Luther King Jr., pretty much created the entire American civil rights movement. And uh, they worked hand in hand through all of the passages of laws in the 60s. And you know, she is from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm from Athens, Georgia. Um, I lived in Atlanta for two years. So for me, there's so much I want to talk to her about as a fellow Georgian. And I grew up. Obviously, around this whole the, the Abernathy family and the Martin Luther King family. If you go to Atlanta, there are streets named after them. Um, you know, buildings. It's just a real. It's just an amazing tribute to both uh, Ralph Abernathy and Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, JW, in today's society, it just seems like the racial situation has gotten out of control, don't you think? It
2: sure has. It's like history is repeating itself.
1: Yeah, I really want to talk to Don DeLay yeah. about, you know, I've gotten a lot of good questions on Twitter and mm-hmm. people on Facebook because they really want to get her opinions, obviously, on, you know, where we are today. And in some ways, like you say, you know, the movie Selma that mm-hmm. was released last year, when you watch Selma in dealing with the shootings in Ferguson and the shootings in, in Char- you know Charleston, and now apparently something happened just today in Cincinnati news was breaking, I, I haven't found the actual story yet. And then we have Sandra Bland in Texas. You know, it's it just seems like in many ways it's it's two steps forward two steps forward and forty steps backward. Yeah,
2: and especially now with, with uh technology and the fact that everyone has a cell phone camera, it makes everybody a reporter. You know, so everybody is, is is witnessing and reporting on social media what's going on? Which is on. great yeah. in a way
1: because mm-hmm. you think about it. But what's even, but what's disheartening is there are, there are cases now even with like with the Sandra Bland even with the even though the cops know the cameras there, yeah, they still act a fool.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I don't get. But then again, look at the reality TV. I guess when the, you're used to having cameras being on, you still act yourself at times. I I mean in some cases that's what's happening with some of these people on reality TV. They forget the cameras are
1: there. They just, yeah. But I noticed with the Sandra Bland situation, if you, if you recall, a lot of the stuff happened. You know, the cop knew to sort of take her off camera. Thank God there was a, there was a citizen standing by filming on his or her iPhone. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the footage that we ended up seeing to the, to the right of the car came from this individual's phone, not from the, the, the camera on the dash cam. Right. You know, and and so cops are learning, you know, sometimes, and they can turn these cameras on and off. So it's almost like, well, if they have that ability to do that, then how can we rely on them? True. Yeah. True. So, yeah, so this whole thing, you know, I feel like, and we'll talk with Don about this as well, and I think we might be joined by our co-producer and publicist, Dominic Friesen. I may be joining in on the conversation, I think. I hope. That yes. would be great. Yes, he is here. Uh, yeah, because... It just seems in many ways, you know, since Obama was elected in, what, 2008? Um, You know, there was this great hope when he was elected, first African-American president. And it just seems like it just brought the true crazies out of the woodwork.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, maybe the most, you know, right-wing, the most uh, crazies of all. But it just, I don't know, it almost seems like for a while, I guess we felt like racism was sort of, you know, we're making progress. And then all of a sudden, after Obama was elected, it just seemed to throw it out there, like it just shot out of a cannon. You know, the whole Tea Party was developed. And, you know, one thing I really want to talk to Don really about is, too, as a Southerner, I don't know, I just, and this is not making a generalization of all Southerners, because mm-hmm. clearly, there's a large liberal and Democrat contingency in the South. But the general perception right now of the South is that it's just going backwards in so many different ways. Yeah. You know, Texas wants to secede from the Union. Um, you know, Georgia, Alabama, so many of the southern states have just gone completely red. And I, you know, when I grew up there, my parents were liberal Democrats, and I, Georgia was more of a de- Democrat state. And, I mean, even if you're not talking... Political parties, just in terms of tolerance mm-hmm. and and racism, you know, it's um, it it just it I I defended the South for so many years when I moved out here, you know, rightfully say so, rightfully so, saying you know not everybody in the South is a racist or a bigot. Right. Uh, these days, it's getting harder and harder for me to do that because you turn on the news and you see these, you know, the whole Confederate f- uh, flag situation.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, the flag's still flying in certain states. Do you so, think it's a
2: vocal minority, or do you think it's the majority that's speaking?
1: Well, the scary thing is, I want to, I want to believe, I, I want to believe it's a minority. Mm-hmm. But I, and again, I don't know if it's because we have more media focusing yeah. on stuff now, the sensationalism. But,
2: that's why I'm wondering. You know, when you if re- it's
1: yeah, 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 it's it's like what came first, you know, the yeah. chicken or the egg. But mm-hmm. I do believe. Because of social media, and again, a lot of the trolls that troll around in the chat rooms and stuff, of course, not in our chat room, but um, <laughs> right. people can hide behind their computer. Yes. And but th- But my point is, I think they can be, they can show their true racism behind the computer. No, that's true. Because they're not, you know, they're not... They're usually no one knows exactly who they are.
2: Yeah, well, that's why YouTube was pushing for the real names. You know, just like Facebook requires your real name, and they're and they're trying to enforce that that you use your real right. name for accountability. Um, it's 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 very. Uh,
1: it's interesting, right? Yeah. This is the kind of things I really want to get into talking with Ms. Abernathy today and like I said, I mean people will know her as an actress. She was on the series Annie Day now for 4 years. Mm-hmm. She's been in TV movies and miniseries. She was also a book, uh, author. She had a wonderful book called Partners to History the Martin Luther King, Robert I'm sorry, Ralph David Abernathy and the Civil Rights Movement mm-hmm. published by Random House. Um she's pretty much done it all. I mean, she talked about someone who's acted and, you know, produced and written, and she's on the lecture circuit as we speak, um, always out there pushing the message of hope and healing and, uh, you know, carrying on the message of her late great father and Martin Luther King Jr. So um, why don't we take our first break, okay. and when we come back, we're going to be joined by the wonderful Donzelay Abernathy and I think perhaps Dominic Friesen also. Yes, we will. Well, you are listening to One on One with Jasper Cole, and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Jasper Cole. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning back in with us. This is Jasper Cole. We're coming to you live from Sunset Gower Studios right here in Hollywood, California. And we are so honored and, and proud to welcome to our show today, actress and activist Ms Donnzale Abernathy. Hello my dear. How are you?
3: I'm awesome. How are you doing, Jasper?
1: Well it is a pleasure to meet you.
3: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so exciting, actually.
1: Well, listen, as a fellow Georgian, um, I was born and raised in Athens, Georgia.
3: Okay. University of Georgia territory.
1: Go Bulldogs. (laughs) (laughs) And I I did, and I lived I started my acting career in Atlanta um, at the Alliance Theater, and I lived there for two years before I moved um, out to Los Angeles show. um, First of all, as a fellow actor, I'm really a big fan of your work. I think you've just done outstanding work throughout your career as an actress. Any Day Now is one of my all-time favorite series. Ah,
3: thank you. You know, I began my career at the Alliance Theater as well.
1: Oh my God, isn't it? And you know, it's still going strong, and it's just gotten bigger and better every year.
3: Oh my God, I loved it. I, I never thought that I'd ever do television or movies. I just thought, I was going to be this diva of the theater, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I love it. Um, the Alliance, that's, that's an incredible theater. I worked. I did Antony and Cleopatra there. I did For Colored Girls Who've Considered Suicide When the Rainbow's oh. Enough. And then I wrote a play for the Gay Men's Chorus about uh, Billy Strayhorn uh, that oh, was wow. produced. Well, actually, they did that at the, um, uh, the the Philharmonic, which is right there at the same space. Sure. Is that
1: Partners but, to History?
3: Uh, no, no, no. It's about That's... Billy Strayhorn. Uh, who oh, was, okay. he wrote this, he was a gay composer. Oh,
1: the, it was called Lush Life, right? The Lush Life, the...
3: right. And it yeah. was for the Gay Men's Chorus and it was all, Billy Strayhorn wrote all of these great, great, great old songs. Um, Wait, I used to visit all the very gay places, those come what May places. Right. Um, Right. Yeah, that all those great guys used to sing way back in the day. And, uh, yeah, so it was a play about him. But uh, part of History is the book that I wrote.
1: That's your wonderful book. Okay, got it. Well, first of all, you've done so much, and you're truly a hyphen. And, I mean, if anybody is, it's you. I I totally love this uh, uh, activist that you use to describe yourself. I love that phrase (laughs) because it combines the two things, your two great passions together so well.
3: Well, you know, it's in my DNA. It's not like, uh, I I try to walk away from it, but you know, I can't. can't, I can't. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that when God puts you in certain circumstances, uh, you've got to rise to the occasion. And I think that's what's happened to me. And, um, it's I have to speak up for what I believe is right.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And, uh, well, you were taught that as a child, you know, clearly with your with the the family history. And I have to say, you know, I mentioned in my opening, growing up in Georgia, um, especially if you live in Atlanta, you know, Ralph Albernathy and Martin Luther King. There's streets, there's buildings, there's monuments named after yeah. uh, both men, and there's just such a rich history there of the civil rights movement, which. It's such a dichotomy in many ways because J.W. and I spoke in the beginning about sort of the the stereotype of the South, you know, that it's, you know, you have the good old boys, the the racist, and you know what I mean? There's always been this sort of clout.
0: They're there. Clout.
1: When I, yes, and so when I first left and I came out to California, I was constantly defending the South, because I would say to people, you know, wait a second, Atlanta is this multicultural city. You know, they have a huge gay population. Mm. You know, it's predominantly an African American city government. Uh, it, you know, and a lot of people just didn't get that. Ironically, and and you can attest to this how the entertainment industry now has just exploded there in the last five to ten years as well
3: oh my god yeah when i began um after i worked at the alliance theater and they wouldn't cast me as um (laughs) portia and julia caesar because they said brutus was coming from new york and they needed a white actress Mm. that's when i started working behind the camera and at that point there weren't any black women working behind the camera in atlanta i spent seven years behind the camera and it would just usually be about three black people and now Oh. It's 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 blossoming. It's incredibly diverse. And because they've changed the tax laws, uh, production companies are coming to Georgia. And hopefully, you know, because the new governor in uh, Louisiana has changed the tax laws again, mm-hmm. all those shows that would be going to New Orleans and Louisiana will probably be going to Georgia, which will boost our economy. Thank goodness. Which would
1: be great. Because you're right. Be Louisiana had it for a few years. They were sort of the – they got all the shows to start with. But now, you know, as you know, because – you work all the time. I mean, it's not just Tyler Perry. I mean, the CW is there, BET is there. Uh, there's movies also are there. Wilmington, North. Yeah, exactly.
3: Um, uh, Jennifer Garner's making a movie there right now. Um, uh, lots of movies are happening, and and like you said, you were saying Wilmington, North Carolina. There are lots of things that happen in North Carolina as well. So the <laughs> South I- is, the rising is rising again, but in a better way than it was before.
1: Oh yeah. exactly I mean, I have an an I, I probably go on tape for more auditions for my Atlanta agent lately than I do for my Los Angeles agent oh. because there's so much work happening, but um well, I wanted to talk about um it's interesting because i you know i started i'm fifty one and I started first grade in nineteen seventy um right when desegregation had began with the schools, and I tell this story of when I started first grade. There was the all-black high school, and there was the all-white high school, and then there was the an elementary school in the middle. And I was starting at the school in the middle. And the on my way to school the first morning, I saw all these people marching with signs, and Aww. you know the cops were out there. And I just thought, oh wow, this is so exciting. Is this how? Is this, is this for me? But I mean, it was it was only as an adult looking back on that time of exactly what was happening. Um, what was happening in my town, a lot of the uh, Caucasian families were taking their kids and putting them into uh, private schools. Right. And my parents were very liberal Democrats, and they did not do that. And so, you know, I started first grade, and I was probably one of ten white kids in a predominantly all-black school. And thank God that's how my life went, because I really I didn't experience prejudice and racism from within my own family, I saw it around me, of course, but I remember at that time, you know, there were a lot of, there was pushbacks from both communities. As you recall, I mean, there were, it wasn't like everybody, not, not everyone from the black community wanted uh, desegregation nor the Caucasian community. Can
3: you talk about that? Yeah, well, now what I want to say is, uh, at that period, we did want integration, hands down. The black community wanted integration. Um, You were blessed enough to not have to grow up under Jim Crow. But under Jim Crow segregation, I couldn't go to the public bathrooms. I could not drink from the water fountains. I was always, you know made to feel that I was a second-class citizen. Mm. I also know that there were signs in a neighborhood that, is, that was adjoining my mother's neighborhood that said whites only, which meant you couldn't even drive your vehicle through that neighborhood. Uh, wow. Beaches were segregated. I could not go to the Savannah Beach until I was much older. And when I finally went to the beach in Savannah and put my feet in the Atlantic Ocean, I was floored. I was outdone Mm -hmm. because I had been waiting all of this time to be able just to feel the ocean. And Southerners had a way of of doing things, and they wanted to uphold this doctrine of segregation, Uh, Jim Crow, which was hurting society. Now, there were a lot of white people that were incredibly liberal. Our home was integrated. There was Mm -hmm. a white minister named Bud Walker who came and lived with us. And so when time came for us to integrate the elementary schools, and we integrated the elementary schools in the state of Georgia, um, I I didn't understand, um, you know, what why we needed to do it. Why weren't the schools already integrated? If our mm-hmm. home was integrated, why couldn't the schools be integrated? And I remember raising my hand when my mother asked the question, you know, because we grew up in a very um, – you know, sort of traditional, strict environment. And my mother asked proper, us what we... Yes. Very proper. She asked me what I wanted, and my hand went up first. And I said, I want to go, I want to go, because I didn't want to be in the all-black school. And I, you know, um, Yolanda King, Martin Luther King's oldest daughter, used to take acting lessons from this man named Mr. Walter Roberts, who was the father of Julia Roberts. Julia, and Eric,
1: yes, and, and Eric Roberts. Robert. That's
3: right, and they lived on Juniper Street. And on Saturdays, oh my God. after ballet, we used to go over there to Mr. Roberts' house, and I had a wicked crush on Eric Roberts. I did. <laughs>
1: And, well, who did right? <laughs> okay.
3: He was so gorgeous. But Mr. Roberts was even more beautiful than any of his children have ever been. And he wow. was just incredibly talented. And I just, I loved him. And every time we'd put on our little plays, Mr. Roberts would come. And so I figured that if I would integrate this elementary school, I'd get to go to school with Eric. And I would see Eric because they lived on Juniper right near Midtown Atlanta. So... Sure. I didn't know that they went over there to Morningside, but I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to see Eric every day instead of on Saturday. <laughs> but uh, it was, in, it was inc- incredibly different. And when I got to the elementary school, uh, there were angry parents. Mm. Uh, there were police. There were photographers. Mm. They took pictures of us. Um, and uh, it was an entirely different uh, environment. It was very stressful. Um, I learned to speak up because my sister started to stutter through all of that because it was stressful. The boys said "Yeah, they used to call her names. They used to call her Bosco Bear, and they were going to throw her down the steps. Mm -hmm. And I was little, but I knew that if they messed with my sister, I would take care of them.
1: That's right. Earrings come off, yeah.
3: Yeah, and then my my brother, Ralph, uh, was younger. And I never, I was in the third grade and he was in the first grade across the hall. And I'll never forget, I heard his teacher yelling and screaming. And I thought, wait a minute, she's yelling at my brother Mm. That doesn't happen in our home, and, and right. our home was nonviolent. So I remember saying to my teacher, excuse me, I'm about to leave class for a second. I, I guess she made, she thought I was going to the bathroom. And at that point, I went across the hall to my brother's classroom and addressed the teacher and then went on upstairs to get my sister out of her class and then to the principal's office and got my mom and my dad, and this was about, at that point, it was about, you know, trying to make sure that a teacher treated us fairly Mm -hmm. but during that those days those were incredibly trying times and um We needed integration. I'll never forget being able to uh, go to the restaurants in downtown Atlanta and Daddy and Uncle Martin and our two families on Sunday trying to integrate the restaurant at the airport and then going to the Marriott and integrating those restaurants. And lots of black people were afraid. They did not want to follow us. And my Mm -hmm. mother was of the opinion that if we do this and if we push for this, the rest of the community will slowly follow. And they did. And I'll never forget she integrated – the opera, the Metropolitan Opera. Black people couldn't get season tickets and go to the opera to see simple cultural events. And so we used to go to all these cultural events and we would be the only black people. We'd be the only little children seated there in the opera. But we were doing our part to change the world. And and I'm I'm glad we did. I know that it was um, it was hard Mm-hmm. I know that it was hard, uh, and, and it creates trauma that I still sort of suffer from. Right, but, sure. Um, the world's a better place today because of it. Even in situ, even though we are in this precarious situation where we are today, we're still well, better off today than we were back then.
1: Well, right, and we we got when people knew you were coming on, I just got flooded with one, or, you know, all kinds of questions, and that's exactly to the point you just made. People were asking, you know, to ask Donzellay, does does she feel? Have we regressed in many ways in terms of racial issues? And I I would say what you just said, no matter how it seems right now that we may have taken two steps back, it's still huge progress from where we started.
3: Incredible. And when I started, you know, I'm married to a man who's of a different race, Mm -hmm. and Back then in the, you know, oh. in the 60s, it was against the law.
1: Against the law. Yeah. It was against
3: the law. And now it is not against the law. It's not against the law for me to live where I live or to walk where I want to walk or go into a McDonald's or go into a veggie grill or go into any restaurant, real food daily, and order the food that I want to eat. Whereas right. way back in the day, we would only enter the back rest- back through the back door. I remember 1965, after they killed Viola Greg Loza on uh Highway eighty. We used to drive down Highway eighty. This is where Selma. All of this happened right outside mm-hmm. of Selma. We used to drive down Highway eighty to go visit my grandmother and my father's family, and my mother's family and my father's family. And I'll never forget waking and up and we, my sister and I told my father we want to have a hamburger. And we just thought, well, my dad could pull over there to the side of the road to this little truck stop and get us a hamburger. <laughs> well, we don't, you know, we didn't know. Mm -hmm. that there was incredible danger for my father to pull over on that side of that road but he didn't want to fail us so he pulled over on the side of the road and then we watched him go around to the back door
0: Mm.
3: to order the hamburgers for us (sighs) then he came back to the car told us the truth about everything that had happened And then I rode shotgun for the rest of the way, all the way back to Atlanta. And after that, I vowed I would never sleep in that automobile while my father was driving, because the threat of death was so great,
1: huge back then, exactly. So, well, it's I don't, you know, we were talking in the beginning about all the racial shootings, and you know, the Sandra Bland and the Ferguson and the, the the incidents in Charleston, and I don't know, I don't, I don't have the answers clearly. I, I just question everything, but I, you know, when Obama was elected in 2008, of course, there was this wave of hope that, you know, things were going to get better, but it seems like to me that it just brought the crazies out of the woodwork. Well, what it know? was
3: was, you know, people were like, let's keep that White House white not black. And mm-hmm. what it did was it polarized America because they were like, oh my God, we have a black man here. Let's go backwards. Let's go backwards. And so it did bring all of the crazies out. It made people start to question race. And there was hope. And, you know, we are so much better because Obama has beca- oh, been our president. absolutely. I'll never forget being there, at that inauguration, and standing outside in that cold and 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 uh, then, having a great seat and sitting there next to Alicia Keys and her mom with my brother <laughs> and um, it was a monumental time in our lives. My mother sat on the platform behind Presidents uh, George Herbert Bush, and uh. Presidents Clinton and um it was it was it was phenomenal, however, it's just, it's, it's the same thing. And um, a friend of mine called me yesterday, and she was working for the Pearl Buck Foundation in um, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And she said that Pearl Buck, who's a great writer who wrote The Good Earth, had come back from China and come to America and witnessed all of what was happening. And she was like, wait a minute. America has got a white problem. It's not black people that have the problem. It's white people who have the problem. Mm-hmm. They have the problem against black people. We're yes. different and our skin is brown, and people want to judge us because our skin is brown or because our hair is nappy. And one, and invariably... And, and they tell the group that's on the bottom, economically or socially, that at least, you know, you better be better than that Negro. And so mm-hmm. then you have poor whites fighting poor blacks or poor Latinos fighting poor blacks. And we're all in the bottom of the barrel, scraping mm-hmm. for nickels and dimes and quarters, afraid to look up to see that all the dollar bills and all the successes up above us. And why are we fighting among each other? We need to rise up and, and go for the bigger things. So when Obama goes up and he goes for the bigger things, then people are like, oh, no, we've got to stop. Him because if he goes there, that means more black people will be there, more uh, Latinos and or gays or or women, and and then there it's fear, and and that's exactly what fear. it is. My dad used to say, we fear each other. We we no, we hate each other because we fear each other. Mm, we fear powerful. each other because we don't know each other. We don't know each other because we won't sit down at the table together. And what I really think is. That, you know, a lot of white people who are, you know, invariably, uh, unreasonably afraid of black people, what it is, is they look and think, well, if I was in that circumstance or if I was that person that was oppressed, wouldn't I retaliate? And so that's what they think. They think that we will retaliate. Well, black people are, you know, we're loving people. We are not trying to retaliate and neither have we ever really tried to retaliate. You know, we don't pick up guns and machine guns and go into theaters and do mass murders
0: no you know that's
3: that's not who we are we just want to be accepted for who we are and want to just be able to sit in the room and sit at the table or not be in the back of the theater but sit in the front of the theater like everybody else and see better you know some of us need glasses and so sitting in the back doesn't work for us or just to be recognized to be accepted and so often this friend of mine was telling me she reminded me yesterday she says They don't even consider us. I'm Mm. in an all-white environment on delay, and, you know, people look around everybody else in the room, and they talk to everybody else in the room, and they ignore me. And I thought, oh, my God, Laura, I I totally understand. I can go stand in the coffee shop on Beverly Drive with my husband, and invariably they will ask him and everybody else ahead of me what it is that they want, and I'll be standing right in front of my husband, and they won't ask me.
1: And we're talking 2015 in Los Angeles, you know, so that's that was i was going to ask you when you first started to travel um outside of the south it, were did you f- perhaps like maybe went to new york were you, did you start to see you were treated better at times when you left the south back earlier when you were younger well do you,
3: yeah it was better. When I, when I first left the South, the earliest that I remember, it was 1963, and that was when went to the March on Washington. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a diverse crowd of people at the March on Washington, and it was people of all different colors, and they were right. you know, together. And right. so that was different. Uh, we were in a nice hotel. That was mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we went to the New York World's Fair. That was different. We uh, stayed at the Riverdale Motor Inn, uh, but... Um, Martin and Coretta and their kids stayed at the home of um, this, uh, the Norton Jones family. And I'll never forget that night. Mike Nichols came to dinner Mm. with Elaine May. And, uh, you know, it was an integrated, you know, gathering. And it was remind, it reminded me of what had happened in my home. But I remember running around and, and, and being, you know, being, feeling very comfortable and then riding on the subway and and seeing New York and seeing the World's Fair and there not being that same level of discrimination. Um, At that point, the Deep South, it was was terrifying. I know that even today I still have um, issues, and I think that's my issue, but I'm not trying to go to Mississippi, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I was in Texas recently, and um, I found myself looking over my shoulder. Mm -hmm. and questioning a lot because um, of a previous bad experience that I had had in Texas. And so when Sandra Bland had her experience in Texas, I wasn't surprised. Uh, But, you know, um, the South is the South. And um, they have got to get over the Civil War. They still call it the War of Northern Aggression. Uh, And this
1: Confederate flag situation, it's always been so embarrassing to me in general. You know, and, and Don's like, forgive me, cause I don't know. Does the flag, does, is it taken down at the Georgia Capitol now, or is it? No. Is it? Okay. No,
3: I think it's, I think it's, it's up there. It's there, right? Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know that it's on the Capitol, but I know but that it's somewhere around, I around I mean, the Capitol grounds. I know that they did, they took it down in South Carolina, but there are other states. I mean, the South still has to do. I'll never forget, we were driving somewhere on some South Georgia highway, and I went into a convenience store, and I was standing there in line ahead of this man who was purchasing a Confederate flag and some Confederate, Memorabilia, and I said to him, "I said, excuse me, sir, why are you buy, buying that? Did, did did I do something to you? Is there a reason you all don't like me?" The man was mortified.
1: <laughs>
3: and but you know, I, I take it personally. It's an affront because that right. flag stands for the Confederacy, which stands for um, slavery. And the slavery. Other day, yeah, and then the other day, I received an email from uh, Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy, from his great grandson who wants to do something with me, and uh, the uh, great-granddaughter of Dred Scott, who was considered to be three-fifths of a human being way back then, yes. and the good Dred Scott decision. And I was like, oh, my God, this is Jefferson Davis's great-grandson. Oh, I don't know about this. I just don't know. And <laughs> that was my initial response. I know right. that the, I have to on behalf of my people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I am a, a part of the Black race, and so I feel like they're my people, and I feel like I carry them. Uh, but I have to engage with them and with this and, and see what it is that they want to do. Peggy Wallace, George Wallace's daughter, mm-hmm. um, asked me to speak with her and on an event. And um, I had spoken after Peggy, so I, I and when I arrived into you know the South, I hadn't heard what Peggy had to say. So we got on the stage, and we are sp- and Peggy was speaking. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, that's Peggy. That's George Wallace's daughter. You know, stay away, Don. Delay. Anyway, a few uh, uh, months later, we found ourselves in Oakland, California, mm-hmm. and uh, I spoke first. And at the close of the, uh, at the end of the engagement, Peggy spoke, and Lucy Baines Johnson spoke as well as Kerry Kennedy, Robert Kennedy's daughter, and Lucy's the daughter of President Lyndon Baines Johnson. But when Peggy spoke, I broke down into sobbing tears. She asked for forgiveness. Peggy said to me. And, oh, well, to me, not only to me, but to the audience, she said, my father did not fire or gun or kill one person, but he did create the climate that murdered several people.
2: Wow. He Absolutely.
3: said in his inaugural address, segregation now, segregation today, segregation forever. And he did stand in the schoolhouse door and try to stop Vivian Malone from integrating the university of Alabama. And so I was like, Oh my goodness. And I just, I found myself sobbing uncontrollably. And there are all these people that want to take your hand. And all of a sudden it's like the, all the, all the, the, uh, the trauma that I had experienced as a little girl came rushing back and there it was on my face and in my body. And then Peggy asked me again would I go with her to, uh, well, our my agent called and asked me would I go to Missouri and speak. This was right after Ferguson.
1: Ferguson, okay. Uh,
3: and speak with Peggy uh, at an event. And I was so not sure that I wanted to do this. And then there again I, I said I have to. I have to. I have to because I'm my father and my mother's daughter. And then when I got there it was just phenomenal. And Peggy was just incredibly humble and so great and so it blew my mind, and I knew that he was turning over in her, his grave, George right. Corley Wallace. But her mother, she spoke about her mother, Lurling Wallace, and how when her father stood at that door, how upset her mother was. And her mother took her to the country away from the governor's mansion to her home. And they sat mm-hmm. outside in the swing where the mother cried. And I thought, oh, my goodness, now we're finding about uh, out about a family that was divided based on her father's beliefs and that her father had never expressed to her why he— Felt that way, but she had taken her son to an exhibit, a civil rights exhibit, and he said to his mother, m- uh, m- Mother, why did Papa? do that. Why did Papa stand against black people? And Peggy decided she was going to write a whole new chapter for her family. And she has. And then very recently in March when we were, for the 50th anniversary of the Selma to Montgomery march and the right to vote in uh, Montgomery with President and, and in Selma with President Obama, um, Peggy apologized to John Lewis um, wow. and to the black members of Congress and the Senate. In front of a a host of Republicans who had attended the event as well. And um, I saw a change arriving, arising in America, and it's slow, but it is actually slow. happening.
1: Well, she's an example of, you know, racism is generally not born. I mean, you're taught, you you're know, taught. babies are born pure and innocent. And she's an example, Peggy, of growing up in a, a, a you know, situation of not, you know, being taught racism and hatred by right. her, and, it, and, it, and kids pick up on everything. So whether the dad actually set her down and said anything or not, she she knew what was going on subliminally. You right. know, and, and her, I
3: think her mother was the one who taught her otherwise. But the thing I think, when you see someone like Peggy, you see the power of love and nonviolence. At, at and, forgi- and forgiveness and forgiveness because we had I'll never forget my dad told me that George Wallace had called and wanted to have an audience with him. and I said to my dad, "Oh no, you're not going to see George Wallace. You are not. He's a Donzole. I am going to see George Wallace and I want to hear what he has to say." Wow. So my dad went down and he said that George Wallace apologized mm-hmm. and asked for forgiveness. And um, at the very end of his life, those were black people that were around him. There was a black man who was taking care of him.
1: Mm. And the
3: same thing would happen to George Wallace, Who I mean, George um, uh, uh, Lester Maddox, who Lester had been Dramatic. the governor yeah. of Georgia with the axe handle, who wouldn't let black people into his restaurant. He came right. down with cancer, and apparently at the end of his life, he surrounded himself in a black community where black people were taking care of him. And, and Strom Thurmond. Look at him. Hey, look at
1: him. Strom yeah, Strom
3: Thurman. We come to we we soon discover that he has a, uh, you know, uh,
1: biracial.
3: And but he, the reason he had a biracial child was because he loved a, bi, a black woman. Right. He loved a black woman, and so he was an avid uh, racist or KKK guy trying to hide because he didn't want people to know who he truly to know
1: was. The, the true person. The now true the time person. is flying. I can't believe this, but I want to get to the Museum of Social Justice yeah. because. That's what I'm I know doing that's now. coming up on October 17th, correct? Yeah.
3: Uh-huh, the Museum of Social... And that's what I'm a, I'm a part of now, which is uh, there's this huge civil, civil rights exhibit that's going to open October 17th at the Museum of Social Justice, which is right downtown in right. Los Angeles. And there's this plaza, and it's the uh, Los Angeles United Methodist Church... And there, it's it's great because it's going to be all of these Hollywood photographs. I brought all the photographs, so many of them, for you to see, um, but you can't see them. Um, well, I will,
1: I will see them. I will make it. Well, I'm going to go to this museum for sure.
3: Yeah, you you really and truly have to. And this exhibit's going to be incredible. And and I wanted to. Um, I'm going to be the keynote speaker on the on the 17th when the opening happens. The exhibit's going to run for a year.
1: Until September, right, of 2000, yeah, September of 2016.
3: 2016, that's correct. But I hope that it will serve as a catalyst to bring together black people and Latino people. Mm -hmm. Because uh, this church has traditionally been a a Latino church. It was founded by the Latino community. And downtown right there is a plaque. And it talks about the people that founded the uh, city of Los Angeles in 1781, and of the 44 people that founded Los Angeles, they were divided between African-American, well, African descent and Mexican descent. There wasn't hmm. one white person. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, Mexicans, uh, Latino people, and black people founded the city of Los Angeles where we are today. And there's a plaque downtown, and it, and it, and it, it, it talks about, the, it, it identifies the race of the people, the names of the people. And it's something that united us. And right. so now it's time to unite us. And that's, that's right. what I hope this exhibit will do and you know, help to facilitate change in, in our uh, community. Also, it celebrates the work of the, of the movie stars. I'm looking at this photograph right now. I'm looking at handsome Marlon Brando and Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward and Tony Franciosa and Polly Bergen. And all of these movie stars that participated, that participated in the civil rights movement. And this was before the March on Washington. And so right. their pictures are going to all appear in this exhibit. And uh, Sam Davis Jr., it's it's just incredible. And then I get a chance to see all these great pictures of my dad. Oh,
1: you my know, God. I cannot roof. wait. Well, listen, Don's Lay, the time has flown by. Is there a oh. website people can keep up with you or do you do you have a. Facebook or Twitter or is there or I have a
3: Facebook account. I don't have a Twitter account. I'm uh, okay. I'm still trying to uh, wrap my brain around Twitter. <laughs> 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 but
0: listen, well, they listen,
1: I I could I need about 3 hours with you because you are so amazing and profound and I can't tell you enough how much I on, I'm honored that you came on the show today. And thank you for everything you've done and you continue to do.
3: Listen, tell the people to go to the museumofsocialjustice.org to purchase their tickets or if they want to sponsor this exhibit because we need sponsorship for this exhibit because we're poor people trying to put this thing on here, but we need their funds and we need you know
1: their service so it's support and money right
3: yes. museum of social justice dot org
1: dot org and we'll have it up on the website and and jw will put it up on the screen because this will go up on youtube in a few days as well oh, so really? um well the time flies my dear thank you again so oh. much what an honor to have you on the show much continued success on in everything and uh i'm i'm so glad to have to have met you so thank yeah. you again
3: ah thank you
1: All right, everyone. That's another great show. Uh, Thanks, JW. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back next Wednesday. Same time, same place. Couldn't do it without you. You've been listening to One on One with Jasper Cole. Take care.
0: Thanks for checking out One on
1: One with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube.